0: Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, Episode 23, the one about mysterious monoliths, no budget filmmaking, and gremlins. Let's get on with the show and welcome back to another
1: recording of two gigs and a marketing podcast we're here for more news content tech and wisdom from the world of marketing as always i am joined by my co-host man on mission to keep marketing simple not only is he the voice of the marketing and fun podcast and the host of the roger Rock video series is also the author of cats mats
0: and marketing plans i give you mr roger edwards Oh, thank you so much. And my co-host is also a man on a mission to demystify digital marketing. He's the host of the Content Marketing Studio video podcast, putting out over 40 pieces of content in four weeks recently. Wow, that is a massive achievement. I give you Mr. Pascal Fintoni. Well,
1: thank you very much. And thank you to you, viewers and listeners, for your ongoing support. Roger, this is episode 23 Yes so it happens to be also the last recording of
0: 2020. It's well almost you know we're nearly done 6 months worth of episodes and each episode is about an hour or so long so I actually it, I, it's an amazing amount of content that we've put out and I've enjoyed absolutely every single minute of it. Or oh, likewise. And I hope you don't mind, but I've done
1: some uh, numbers just because ah. it's always look good to look back. I know that episode 20 was a very good uh, and interesting milestone for you and I, but this is essentially the end of the year. We'll be back early 2021. So if you think about the six segments that you know we use to organise the recording and, of course, the key items within the segments, I can let you know that that in the news and this week in history, we have shared 184 items of content, Fantastic. (laughs) When it comes to content spotlight, you know, the articles, videos, and so on that we review, we have reviewed you and I 46 items of content for the content shout outs. We have spoken about more than 50 individuals. We've reviewed more than 42 texts and apps. And we have given, you know, obviously our views and reactions about 23
0: films in film marketing. Fantastic. I love the fact that 42... tech and apps you know that's a real hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy reference there (laughs) you couldn't have planned that better if you tried pascal (laughs) so thanks again
1: roger for you know making this year a bit more exciting and interesting than would have been otherwise and once again if i may reiterate our thanks to our viewers and listeners for your support we appreciate all the thank yous and well dones that we get on on the socials but let's begin
0: as we've done so far with in the news UK online sales increased by 23% this Black Friday when compared to 2019, although there was a 4% decline in average order value, likely due to heavier discounting.
1: Well, both of Coca-Cola's heartwarming Christmas adverts have been voting the best of 2020, with The
0: Holidays Are Coming taking first place, followed by their new advert entitled The Letter. The UK's first all-electric car charging station opened near Braintree in Essex. This is an important milestone towards the ban of combustion engine vehicles by 2030. Well, Roger, after a 70-year
1: run, Ikea will be stopping the publication of its printed catalogue. At its peak in 2016, Ikea said that they distributed 200 million copies
0: in 32 languages. My goodness. And if you live in the US, Christmas has gotten even more exciting with 21 James Bond movies streaming for free on YouTube movies until the end of December. And according to the
1: CIM and Hayes recruitment, marketers enjoy working remotely and 55% will request to continue to do so even though they can return to the office.
0: And KFC has produced a mini-movie in partnership with Lifetime TV Channel entitled A Recipe for Seduction. The 15-minute film tells the story of a young heiress falling for a handsome young chef with a secret fried chicken recipe and a dream. And finally, Babybel Cheese has launched
1: baby onesies made to look like the brand's packaging. And for each onesie purchased, Babybel will donate to children living in poverty. And I have no idea how managed to read that without bursting into laughter, uh, Roger. <laughs> Mini
0: Baby Bell. <laughs> Can you
1: imagine your baby looking like a Baby Bell cheese? I mean, I know that is Christmassy with the red and the
0: white, but, um, well, it is content marketing after all. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, okay. You you want to dress your kids up maybe in a Rudolph the red Nose Reindeer costume, <laughs> but not a Baby Bell the Red packaging costume, do you, really? Uh, Well, I think
1: it's very funny, (laughs) and uh, if people do go ahead, um, I'm sure we're going to see the pictures on social media. Now, Roger, what is interesting about in the news, which are compiled, you know, uh, we alternate, obviously, the weeks for the compilation of the show notes. Last week, if I'm not mistaken, you read the news item about the marketing of electric cars. And it so happens that today you've been reading the the announcement about the
0: first all-electric car charging station. Indeed, yeah. I mean, I think one of the things I did say last year was, is there a cat in hell's chance of the infrastructure being in place within 10 years to enact what the government have said, i.e. to ban combustion engines? Uh, Well, maybe this is just a big one step on the way there. There's something a bit weird about it being in Braintree in Essex, though. That rings a bell for some reason, and I can't... Can't think why, probably something to do with a TV program or something like that. Mm, Yeah, let's ask ask our viewers and
1: listeners. Perhaps there is a link there, maybe with technology or indeed um, entertainment. Can I ask uh, your reaction about the fact that Coca Cola voted again, you know, their Christmas adverts voted best of 2020? The Holidays Are Coming is actually an old advert, first released in 1995. Is there a lesson in there that if something is working, why change it? Is it actually a total re-release, or is it a remake? I think it's slightly been improved upon, but it's the same
0: uh-huh. scenes completely. Well, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, on the face of it, I've not watched all of the Christmas adverts this year, and and I was sort of hoping that the companies might have tried to do something a little bit different, because, you know, did we do we really just want the same old syrupy, sort of sad lonely person that <laughs> that uh that john lewis does or something or, or monster under the bed or whatever it is and and i have to say some of the attempts this year have been pretty dire and in fact there's a couple of them and i won't name them just to spare the brands their embarrassment but i've actually stopped watching before the end but i do like the uh coca-cola ones and they do stand out and, and the one you mentioned i've seen a lot of people raving about that but i didn't know until you just told me there that it was effectively a remastering or a remix Mm. of old content, which, again, you know, it just goes to show how often do you find, especially at this time of year, songs from the 70s and 80s effectively get re-released. Maybe they tweak the sound a little bit to make Mm. it sound a little bit more modern, but effectively it's the same content that was produced 2030 years ago. And of course historically you know, Coca-Cola is
1: pretty much you know responsible for creating the image of Father Christmas as we know him today. Mm. You know that kind of red and white outfit and so on because of their branding. But uh, talking about reading news, I recall many months ago reading the news about the Argos catalog essentially mm-hmm. being uh, no longer printed. Um, I don't know if you know, but they're actually using that as a bit of a hook. So if you watch TV adverts about Argos, they are presenting the last book of dreams uh, as, as the items. <laughs> and then today I find myself reading about IKEA, 70 years. The very first one, obviously, um, you know, that was created by the MD of IKEA at the time. Goodness, I, I can't
0: stop to think how many trees have been involved <laughs> in creating untold billions of printed copies of their catalogue. My goodness, it, it beggars belief. So I was thinking about potentially going uh,
1: you know, out to Ikea and even, even Argos and get a handful of copies of the very last one and almost you know, reenact the, the scene from Back to the Future 2 where in 10 years' time, those catalogs would be worth a lot of money. What do you think? Oh,
0: well, we could actually put them in a box, couldn't we, Pascal? In a steel box and bury them somewhere <laughs> and, and put a marker. And and yeah, we can we can go back there in ten years and dig them up and see what we think. <laughs> but I still feel sorry for children, you know, in
1: future. How are they going to make their Christmas lists without cutting out, you know, pictures from the uh, Argos catalogue?
0: They'll just have to copy and paste them off their screens, I guess. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm I'm actually quite interested in this KFC recipe for seduction. It sounds incredibly cheesy and and and, and increb- incredibly naff. But I, I do have an irresistible urge to actually go and find it and watch it, probably just to see how ultimately quite, quite cheesy it is actually going to be. Have you seen that? I've not seen it. Uh, I'm aware of other brands and other kind of food
1: and, and drink you know, brands doing mini movies. Uh, I think the most famous one has been the Estrella beer. Mm -hmm. And usually the execution production is pretty stunning, but it's a weird one because you watch a story with famous actors, but then there's uh, the the product is everywhere. Yeah. And and it's it's really quite an an interesting one. Um, But yes, the young chef with a secret fried chicken recipe and the dream. (laughs) Incredible, incredible. Right, well, thanks very much, Roger, for you know uh, talking about the news. But let's move on, if you don't mind, to yep. our very last Content Spotlight session of 2020. And this is the Content Spotlight segment where Roger and I surprise each other with an article, a video or a podcast that makes us reflect on the wonders of
0: marketing. So Roger, what do you have for us this week? Pascal, I'm going to cheat a little bit this week, because in fairness, this is more like an extended item of news, if truth be told, but I have found a couple of articles which talk about it in depth, and therefore I'm claiming the right to call it a a content spotlight. Now, I'm not sure whether this is a marketing gag, or whether it is um, some artist trying something on, or whether we are genuinely being trolled by aliens, but... I don't know whether you've seen the reports of this recently, but there have been mysterious monoliths appearing in various locations around the world. And the first one appeared early in December in Utah, and it was a a straight-up column of stainless steel buried into the ground, evoking the image that you might remember from long ago in that film, 2001, A Space Odyssey. Yeah. Uh, I think the monolith in that film was black, uh, but apart from that, similar sort of location in the desert, and 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 I think the the uh, story in two thousand and one of Space Odyssey was that these monoliths somehow sort of influenced the development of mankind from when they were apes until they grew and developed technology and eventually went off into space. So, <laughs> what what I actually quite like about when this sort of thing happens <laughs> is that on the one hand. There are the people who, probably like me, who immediately think, oh, this is some sort of gimmick. Some sort of company is is, is trying to play on people's um, imagination or conspiracy theories or whatever it is. And it, it'll be a, a product push for something. Uh, then, of course, there are the people who think it's going to be an artist who's trying to sell an exhibition or something like that. And then, of course, there'll be the genuine conspiracy theorists who think it is a genuine alien monolith Mm. and something we've really got to be worried about. Now, over the next few days, more of these monoliths started turning up all over the world. There was one in Romania found. There was also one in California. I think that they were probably copycat monoliths, if if that's if you can actually say that copycat monolith, um, and somebody was just jumping onto the bandwagon. Whether it was a coordinated effort across the globe, I don't know. Um, and and it would appear that men, workmen, have been seen dismantling the one in Utah. But I, I do you know, it, it, it. I don't know what it is. Nobody seems to know whether it's a marketing gimmick or it's a, an artist or what it is. But it's obviously created almost like a viral buzz around the world. And and I guess the reason I chose this, Pascal, was because we do live in this world at the moment where people are in love with conspiracy theories. Do you know, um, the, COVID vi- the COVID virus has to be some sort of plot involving Bill Gates and multi-billionaires to inject us all with nanobots so they can control our minds. It can't possibly as- be as simple as something of a virus starting in a wet uh, market in a different country that spreads around the world naturally. And therefore, the most obvious answer to this is somebody is playing a prank. But you still get people who will try to spin it up into some sort of global alien invasion story. And I think that this one story in itself just highlights the many different reactions that human beings can have to quite simple stories whether it is a marketing gimmick or whether it genuinely is some sort of scientific breakthrough. And I think we should all just reflect upon that, whether we believe that COVID was a natural thing or whether we believe it's some global conspiracy. It's just to sit back and actually think, do you know what? Is the simplest answer actually the one we should believe? yeah thanks very much and what
1: a wonderful take on what uh essentially was yeah you're right uh, incredible kind of uh, headline grabber and the attention in grabbing uh, items i wasn't aware of of the others around the world i was only aware of the one in the us uh, and for me what was very telling is how visually striking the um i suppose into the monument or, or the monolith was uh, and i think there was something about the aesthetic as well And the way in which the live was bouncing off, you know, the metallic surface and so on, that caught people's imagination. I wonder if they'd been the same if it'd been simply a rock or wood or or other form of uh, other materials. I think the way it 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 had that silvery finish, didn't it? And it was very, very bright in in, in the sunlight in in that part of the world. And and you're right. I mean, he's gone, you know, it's been mentioned on radio, TV, on the internet. And um, I don't know. I mean, if, if it's an artist or if it's a brand, how long do you
0: think before they reveal themselves? Well, I don't know. I mean, I suppose it's something they could, if it is genuinely not, and I think that they, the bookies' favourite is that an artist as opposed to a marketing uh-huh. campaign. But maybe it'll turn up in a few other places before whoever it is, Banksy or something, um, <laughs> actually declares his hand and says, you've got me, Gov, it was me all along. And do you think that the fact that it was in a remote location played as well to people's imagination? Yeah, I mean... I mentioned 2001, A Space Odyssey. The, the, the location of the first one, the one in Utah, does suspiciously look to me like the film set of the scene in 2001 with the apes towards the beginning, set in prehistory. So I think that they were riffing off that visual from that particular mm. film. So I think that's possibly why it feels so striking is because it is actually very familiar to anybody who's seen that film. Excellent. Right, Roger. Let me share with
1: you uh, my selection for today. Of course. A video from a channel and a group of uh, artists, filmmakers called Film Riot. So not only do I want to share this particular episode of Film Riot, but I also want to spend some time to thank Ron Connolly and his team for many years of entertainment, but also inspiration. So Film Riot is a YouTube channel. They also provide training. They also have swap files and news and tech about being a no-budget filmmaker. Mm -hmm. And at the heart of it, you know, when we talk about content marketing and video marketing, you know, my stance on this idea of emulating the behavior of independent filmmakers and using those habits and techniques and mindset to improve vastly how engaging your content will be. So, the title of this particular um, video uh, is called The Four L's, as in letter L, the four L's of no-budget filmmaking. And it's really looking at this idea of what can you produce and how can you achieve something which has high production value when time and money is is against you. The way which it's been created, is actually a behind-the-scenes look at a short film created by one there visiting filmmakers and lecturers. So the four L's are as follows. I'm gonna give you a quick overview, but the other reason as well I chose it is because I was thinking of you, Roger, Because some of the stories I'm going to share in a moment, you can relate to. So the first L is lighting. The second um, uh, are lenses. Then comes limitations, then locations. These would be the four Ls that you have to wrestle with as a no-budget video maker or filmmaker. So when we talk about lighting in the context of this short film and the kind of making of behind the scenes, they are saying that it's obviously, you know, the first thing people do is to use natural light. And they are uh, inviting us to consider using different times of the days to see the, about the impact on the image and whether or not you may discover that where you live and you, different parts of the world, light obviously behaves differently. You might find that different times of the day gives you different uh, colors and different kind of images to consider. You and I know, and many of our listeners' viewers will know about sunrise and sunset, but there may be a different part. And of course, where we live, we have, uh, as they say, real seasons. So you may have to also use different times of the day, depending on time of the year. But the other advice they are giving, again, for that impact and that storytelling, consider using fire and flames from candles all the way to bonfire to, again, you know, can create something very different. And then finally, use LED lights in different shapes and forms from um, balls to um, uh, lines to triangles to squares and look at ways to do things very differently. So the first L is lighting. So I'll just pause for now and get your reaction, Roger. you, the host of the Roger video
0: series. Yeah, well, I was just taking some imaginary (laughs) notes there. I mean, yeah, lighting is one of those... Really interesting things. I, I do struggle with in in inside lighting. I, I never feel satisfied with inside in inside lighting. Um, I, I there's recently I found you know I go down to my favourite harbour for a coffee frequently, and there's been a couple of times recently where I've gone down around about uh, three o'clock in the afternoon, and 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 I guess it was what you would call golden hour because the sun hasn't quite set yet it's probably got within an hour to half an hour to, to go to setting and yet the color of the sun on your skin and on the on the uh trees and the buildings around you has a really sort of golden glow and it's just incredible and there's been a few times where i thought i've really sort of smacked myself and said you should have brought my your camera mm-hmm. down today even if you didn't have a story to tell it's just the fact the colors are absolutely beautiful um and yeah I, I, lighting is interesting and, and i'm and i'm going to shut up there because one of my bits of marketing tech coming up is is about lighting as oh, well so I'm, right. not, I'm not going to blow that <laughs>
1: <laughs> so we spoke about lighting so the message really for all of us be be more adventurous and try different things you could be eventually surprised so of course we're talking about light. let's talk about lenses the message as part of this uh, the four L's of no budget filmmaking is to actually really really know your camera whether it's a mobile phone by the way or a camera but know the camera try different lenses where possible yeah, trying to achieve you know that blurred background uh, effect, which I think helps the viewer understand what you want to tell as a story and also be familiar with the auto and manual focus. So essentially, do your homework, try different things, um, be disappointed by the result until you eventually find your own language as a videographer move on to limitations. This is really at the heart of independent filmmaking. You will never have everything you need or want to make, share that story. You know this too well, Roger. So to begin with, uh, make sure that you film for the edit because time will be against you. So editing is part of it, but also film for your own editing skills. So don't imagine something that you can't do or that your team cannot do. Know your kit inside out and know the limitations, including battery life, (laughs) talking from experience, of course. And finally, know about sound, but importantly, sound distractions. So if you're going to be somewhere where sound is going to be obviously bad for you, there'll be noise, there'll be people laughing, door slamming, and so on, then film with a view of the sound not being part of the story. And actually in the example that they use in a sci-fi short story, they didn't actually film with the sound at the time. The sound was added later on in post-production because it was much swifter. And interestingly for you, Roger, the filmmaker they choose as a guest for the making of was using Epidemic Sound, which I know you're
0: using as Uh, well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I do like sound. And quite often with with my vlogs, what I might do is, uh, I mean, again, if I I go down the aforementioned harbour, I have got some, um, from Epidemic Sound, some backtracks of harbour sounds. And, and sometimes if you actually overlaid that over the actual sound you're getting, or even dial down some of the harsher sounds that you're getting in the actual environment, it softens the, the whole thing and makes it sound a lot more engaging. Um, and so it's always worth playing around. I think it was you who taught me that. You know, even if you think you've got the sound that you want... You can often download some other sound to overlay just to make your video sound a little bit more natural. Yeah, so from limitation, we've gone to locations. You know that
1: I'm a big, big fan of making location almost a character in any stories, whether it's a corporate video or the way to fiction work. So my advice, which is kind of echoed in that video as well, make a list of locations that you, are available to you. I mean, we're very lucky in the UK. You know, we are literally an hour away from the sea or mountains or forest, or natural environments, so make a list of natural locations near you and also make a list of man-made historical locations, and thirdly, a list of modern contemporary man-made locations. And that list, really, should also be a source of inspiration. The four L's of no-budget filmmaking or no-budget video marketing, lighting, lenses, limitations, and locations.
0: Do you know right up my street, this Pascal? Um, I'm going to watch this after the after we've stopped recording this video. And, and again, I, I go back to the very first time I ever met you, and you did a presentation about filmmaking, and you said those things there. Look for locations, look for mas- non-monuments, look for buildings, and that's why I did start to do a, a lot of my videos outside rather than sat here with my telescope behind me because let's face it the telescope gets a bit dull after a while so there's nothing it's great when you can go to a different location the downside of living in scotland is it's so bloody windy and mm. half the time i go out trying to film something <laughs> and i get defeated by the wind
1: <laughs> no, absolutely well i remember this because within a week of the presentation you very kindly sent me a link to your first rog vlog where you were near that uh, you know very tall pointy monument in edinburgh what is it called yes. again
0: that's a Scott monument, yes.
1: <laughs> Which you compare to one of the Thunderbirds. Um, Thunderbird three. <laughs> absolutely. Great. So once again, this is all about all of us being a bit more ambitious about our content next year. You made a hint a moment ago about Tekken Apps. So let's move on to marketing tech and apps. And in this segment, Roger and I surprise you, viewers and listeners, with our tech and apps that can make life easier as a content creator. So,
0: Roger, what have you got for us this week? Well, Pascal, as promised, I'm going to talk to you about lighting. Now, again, we don't collaborate in advance on what we're going to talk about on the show. (laughs) So, the fact that lighting came up in your content spotlight, spotlight, see what I did there? And I'm going to talk about lighting now I've been after something just to make my home office set just look a little bit more professional now it doesn't look too bad compared to a lot of absolute disasters that there are out out there of people on zoom meetings and things like that I have got a decent key light shining in my face here and in the background here you can see there's a bit of a green glow that is literally just a, a bedside lamp with a fancy bulb stuck into it that you can change the colour of, I've come across a piece of kit, and it's by Philips, and it is called Hue Lights, Hue Lights, now you can get bulb versions, you can get strip versions, you can get triangle versions, just like you mentioned earlier on, but the ones that I've gone for for Christmas are a little bit more like, uh, they're, they're sort of oblong rectangular shape, and quite sturdy, and, and can depending upon which way you turn them, actually spread the light over quite a wide area or actually over quite a narrow area. But these lights are controllable by your phone and you can set them to different degrees of luminescence and different colours, up to 1.2 million colours, so the marketing blurb would have to (laughs) leave. Now, I'm getting these for Christmas, Uh, I have had a watch of a few of the videos though to see how they work. And I'm really quite excited about some of the results that it's going to allow me to mess around with. Um, But one of the most interesting things, and this isn't the reason I bought them, but this I found this out after I decided to buy them. But what you can also do is you can plug them into the back of a television set, a, you know, a big surround sound TV, and the lighting will then mimic. So if you're watching Star Wars, for example, it will use those 1.2 million colors to potentially shine similar colours onto wow. your wall <laughs> as you're, as it, as it's reading off the screen. So obviously, if there's going to be a lot of sort of explosions with a lot of yellow and orange, it will beam a lot of yellow and orange onto your wall. If you're in a dark environment, say with flicker tiny flickering lights, it will mimic that as well. And apparently, the sensory uh, effect of this on somebody watching a TV programme or a film is remarkable. Now, I think they originally designed it with gamers in mind. So you would effectively put these lights behind your computer screen or your gaming screen and it would create that those lighting effects to enhance your experience with the game. But apparently a lot of people just realised how good it worked with TVs as well. But whether I'll get into that or not, I'm just quite, quite excited with the 1.2 million different colours that I'm going to be able to play with as opposed to green, blue, red, or yellow, which I have with this uh, this uh, little bulb that I've got sat behind me. So that that's the first thing, Pascal. Second one, now this is leading on from something I talked about last week. Last week I talked about an audio app called Clubhouse, and I did hint at another live streaming app, which I was going to talk about this week, and it's called HAPS, H-A-P-P-S, the HAPS app, which is a bit of a a tongue twister. Now, it's live streaming, and you might think, oh, do we need another live stream? And everybody does live streaming. LinkedIn, Facebook, Periscope, they all do live streaming. But the thing with this one is they are encouraging people. Now, and and the caveat I'm going to come to is I don't know how far I agree with this. They are encouraging people to use this live streaming app to almost become trainee journalists, news journalists. So, for example if there was a technically if there was an accident in your town they would be encouraging you to go along with your app with your haps app and film Mm -hmm. as a journalist would do the footage of that accident now this brings to mind that film in la where the guy's wandering Mm -hmm. around with a camera at night looking for accidents and things to film but obviously they're also talking about you know uh a new, a new airplane being launched or a new shop opening or a, or a new coffee shop opening or so any, anything newsworthy, they're encouraging you to film. Now what doesn't happen is you don't then just upload it and, and beam it out from your own account. It is actually apparently quality checked by people at HAPS app HQ and they will then decide whether it's newsworthy enough to put it up onto their actual server. So, I guess unlike the other social media where you could basically just go live and film whatever you want, these people are trying to lend it an element of, of journalistic control. Now, when I did see that, I thought, well, that's actually quite a, a, interesting because it might encourage people, you know, to be a bit inquisitive and to, and to search things out. But then I couldn't help but think about that film about the guy in LA driving around looking for accidents to film at night and didn't wonder whether this could potentially become something a little bit sinister. So I have to say I'll probably download it and have a mess around with it, but mm, the jury's perhaps out uh, on what I actually think about it and how well it will be policed. But I'd be del- I'd be really interested to hear what you think of it, Pascal, and, and, and indeed anybody listening to Two Geeks in a Marketing Podcast. Have you tried the HAPS app, and what do you think
1: of it? Well, if uh, back to your point, there's going to be some good editorial guidelines about the content and the storylines and so on and so forth, and it's not going to be essentially voyeurism. I'm intrigued by it. And are they saying literally, like you know, you could almost become have points being awarded for the best content creators, and that leads to you joining the HAPS Academy or sort. Mm-hmm. Do you do they require? Perhaps you don't
0: know. Do they require you to present as well, or just film? that's a very good question i'm not sure there is definitely a sort of point system where you can you can effectively uh become promoted i guess uh, but yeah I, I think it would be nice if they actually did promote if, if they actually did encourage you to report and to actually describe how you're feeling that there are some clips on the uh, on the um, app site where Okay. One of the persons filming it has actually been interviewing a person within the crowd at a, a demonstration in London. So there's, they're definitely encouraging interaction with the environment around you. So, yeah, very, very interesting to see how it develops. Absolutely. I'll definitely look into that. And just to react to the, your very first um, item, is that
1: interesting how the world of gaming has really influenced, you know, the marketing as well
0: as uh, home life as well? A- absolutely right. Yeah. I mean... It, When I saw this thing, my immediate thought was, yeah, it's just lights to go in the back of my uh, studio. But when I realized exactly what it was designed for, it was actually quite mind-blowing, actually. I didn't realize you could do that with gaming. So I've chosen two items that would make
1: my christmas list if uh, i could you know quickly send a christmas list so um just a message to mrs Fintoni, if you're watching <laughs> listening to this episode pay attention to what's coming next so there are two items about one to be released early next year and one that is available now that uh, I don't need, but I really want them, (laughs) (laughs) Roger. So the very first one, really excited about it, it's the famous Zoom Potrack P4. Now, Zoom, not the video company, but the audio tech company who's been releasing Zoom audio recorders for ever, it would seem. And we've been waiting very patiently, all of us in, EU, in the UK in particular, but the Zoom PodTrack P4 has been called the Podcaster's Dream Engine. So what you can do, something that is no bigger than the, a large phone, if you, if you will, uh, Roger, you can record up to four people in conversation. And they can be XLR as well as normal audio audio jack. But in addition to that, you can control, therefore, the input volume. You can also um, plug some head headsets. So when we are able to be closer with each other uh, next year, you'll be able to actually stimulate and, and be the host yourself of a conversation with uh, up to four people. And if somebody can't quite make you know, the get-together, you can also link your phone. So you could ring them and link your phone audio to the um, track P4 and record you know, the sound there. But the reason why it's been called the Podcaster's Dream uh, device or engine, not just because of all the things you can plug in, but Zoom have been using their years and years of understanding audio recording to introduce some inbuilt noise reductions and noise limiters so the raw file the raw audio file is is claimed to be of such quality that there be little audio editing required the next one, which again, I want but I don't need, is the <laughs> famous Shure Super 55 Deluxe Microphone. With a name like this, Roger, what would you want to have the Shure Super 55 Deluxe Microphone? Best known as the Elvis Presley Microphone. This is the retro, vintage, you know, chrome looking microphone, which you've seen people actually, usually singers, uh, as well as uh, kind of people on stage. And it just looks so, so nice. And part of what we do, a lot of us, is our, our kit is often in view when we do the kind of session that we. And I was thinking that would be such a lovely microphone to have in view, just where it's going to look, the way the 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 light's going to bounce off it. So again, two items that I don't need, but I really
0: want them, Roger. The Shure Super Fifty Five Deluxe microphone is one of the best names for a piece of kit I've heard <laughs> since the Bumbleweeny Fifty Seven Sub Brain, which I think was another. Uh, quote from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Now it's funny. The there's lo- you and I are exactly the same. There's loads of pieces of tech that I would love to have. In fact, I want to have that I don't need. And and certainly lockdown, and especially the proximity of Black Friday to the recording of this podcast, that is is a dangerous time of the year for people like us, isn't it? Because we see <laughs> yes. things on offer for prices which are less th- less than they were but still ridiculously high and yet we feel that we are being seduced into buying them because of those reductions and and yeah you've just got to give yourself a sharp slap to make yourself realize that actually you really don't need it but i'm 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 uh, I'm, I'm wavering over the zoom pod track p4 i saw our good friend mr mark Ash- Asquith um review this on video on youtube last week or so in fact it may have been you sent me the link to it and I mean he gets so enthusiastic about pieces of kit like this just like you and I do but I did sit there thinking you know that is such a great piece of podcasting kit but then I couldn't remember the last time where I ever sat down with somebody face to face to record a podcast episode so I I did have to convince myself that you don't really need one that can let you do four people at once especially not at the moment.
1: Now, remember the time I told Mark how jealous I was, he'd received, obviously, uh, an, you know, an example because we were still waiting for the official, obviously, release um, in the UK. So thanks very much, Roger. Shall we move on for one yeah. last time in 2020 for This Week in History?
0: In 1882, Edward Johnson, an associate of Thomas Edison, designs the first set of electric Christmas lights in history. Prior to this, people would traditionally decorate their trees with wax candles. Well, in 1895, the world's first movie screening takes place at the
1: Grand Café in Paris, France. The makeshift theatre uses the cinematograph projector created
0: by the Lumière brothers. In 1903, Orville and Wilbur Wright make their famous first flights with a powered aircraft. The most successful was the fourth and final flight in which Wilbur flew for 59 seconds. And in 1937,
1: Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs premieres at the Carthage Circle Theatre in Los Angeles. This was the very first full-length animated feature, taking three years and nearly $1.5
0: million to produce. My goodness. In 1968, astronauts Frank Borman, James Lovell and William Anders became the first men to orbit the moon. On Christmas Eve, the crew made a TV broadcast from Apollo 8, the most watched TV programme ever at the time. And in 1982, Time magazine
1: awards its Man of the Year award to the personal computer, calling it Mission of the Year, the very first non-human to receive the award since its creation in 1927.
0: In 1995, the AltaVista search engine is launched, one of the most popular search engines in the early World Wide Web. AltaVista was overtaken by Google in 2001 and purchased by Yahoo in 2003. And finally, in 2009, James Cameron's Avatar is released and becomes the
1: highest-grossing film of all times for 10 years until Avengers Endgame overtook it at the box
0: office. Pascal, did people really put wax candles on christmas trees they did to me that would i mean that the the, fire in health and safety would never allow that these days i'm surprised that many houses in the in in history didn't burn down purely because of that
1: or they did they did um we used to have in france adverts from the um kind of national fire services telling people not to do that i think it it lasted well after the second world war as a uh, as a practice it's crazy isn't it
0: yeah, absolutely no. I mean I have to, y- y- there are those old-fashioned um Christmas cards often have uh, christmas trees with candles on them and you've always thought that's got to be a bit of a joke hasn't it but obviously not <laughs> so once again i'm absolutely blown away by the many firsts
1: you know in this week in history uh, i don't know where to start but i'm going to go with um, Alta Vista because yes fondly this was my very first search engine on my very first computer i think also the one that i owned that didn't come from work
0: I'm I'm finding it hard to think that it was that far back in time. It just seems unlikely. Yeah,
1: so you know, it, it was it was built you know in the days of of Harpenet, and then obviously then moved on to you know I think 1995 was when people could buy computers you know more more directly. But I had forgotten completely that it had been bought
0: by Yahoo in 2003 and then and then disappeared. Yeah, absolutely incredible. I I, I don't think AltaVista Vista was the first search engine that I came across. Uh, I'm I'm pretty sure it was um, it was probably Yahoo. That's right. probably the one I remember first. So I wanted to quickly um, mention to you
1: once again. You end up reading a an item about aviation and an mm. aircraft, without obviously you know Orville and Wilbur. You know without the Wright brothers there would be no aviation industry we know today.
0: I mean, it was Kitty Hawk Beach, wasn't it, where they did their famous 59-second flight. And, I mean, again, I know that before that, man had flown in balloons of sorts. Um, And even way back in history, Leonardo da Vinci had drawn a, a, a schematic diagram of some sort of early helicopter. But this was the first time man had been into the air on a powered aircraft. And if, it's almost like tracing back the ancestry of every modern <laughs> airliner, the 737 MAX, the Boeing 737 MAX, which we talked a lot about last week, the Boeing 747, the Concorde, you know, Cessnas, all of them can trace their heritage back to those two guys messing around on a beach in in, in, in 1903. Absolutely incredible.
1: No, absolutely. Talking of uh, tracing back ancestry, without Walt Disney's vision for a full-length feature animated film, Snow
0: White and the Seven Dwarves, again, there would be no Avatar. Absolutely right. And, and you know, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves is a phenomenal film, isn't it? And, you know, even, even as an adult, I will marvel at the amount of detail that goes into that film, and to think that they did it by drawing every single frame of film in the entire 90-minute film, or however long it was, is just, it's just, it just almost defies belief. I mean, today, obviously, it's all computer-generated, and they don't have to painstakingly do that, but if you think about all of those scenes which have all the little animals in, all the flowers, all the the scenery in the back, the dwarves, Snow White, the witch, all moving at the same time, how they managed to actually draw that. Mm. It was just, you know, incredible artistry there. And and yeah, a lot of the techniques that were developed by hand and then computerised over the years, I guess, meant that we could end up with something like Avatar, which was similarly mind-blowing in terms of computer graphics, I guess. There's two memories for me with regard to Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Well, the first one,
1: there's a child being terrified <laughs> by the <laughs> Queen when she turns into the, the witch. It's really quite a, um, a scary scene when, when you're a young child because it's so well-crafted and, and arcing back to the, the Grim Brothers type of fairy tale. But the other one was a documentary by the making of uh, Snow White, where you saw Walt Disney really acting as as a leader, as a visionary, where how he actually explained and introduced the concept to. Um, his uh, team and to, to his um, kind of employees and for them mm. to kind of buy into it and so on. I know that that's a lot of part of, of his life, you know, there's grumbles about, you know, his style of leadership and so on and so forth. But for that very first instance, it's um, a lesson, again, about how you can share a vision, how you can get people behind it to
0: make it a reality. Absolutely right. No, it's it's a humbling film to watch as long as you don't just think, oh, it's just a kids cartoon you if you've you've got to know the history of it in order to understand the enormity of what you're watching
1: well listen you know it's been an absolute pleasure to look at this week in history one last time in your company 2020 of course we will come back to it in 2021 but on the subject of content creators and content creation let's move on to the content creators shout outs let's do it And in this segment, Roger and I celebrate the work of content creators bringing value to their communities. So, Roger, who is in the spotlight today? In
0: my spotlight this week, two people who live down in Lancashire. Funnily enough, they live just a little bit along the road from from Blackpool, which is where I grew up, Martin Huntback and Lindsay Cambridge of Jammy Digital. Now, I've known these two for ages, and they run a very successful company. It's called Jammy Digital, as I've just said. They they operate mainly helping people to design really good websites for small businesses, uh, but they're also very heavily into content marketing, and that's that's how I how I know them through the uh, the content marketing um, live events that I've been to in the past. They have just published their first book. Now you were very kind enough to give me a shout out for my book, Cats, Mats, and er- Marketing Plans earlier on, Pascal. And Martin and Lindsay have just launched their book, literally about a month after after mine came out, and it's called The Content Fortress. What a fabulous name! For I agree. Book. I, I mean, agree. I, 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 thought, I thought, I, I, thought I'd cornered the marketing cheese with um, <laughs> cats, mats, and marketing plans, or at least tried to make it a little bit intriguing. But the content fortress is equally, equally intriguing, and and if and effectively, what they're saying is, it, it, the upshot is that every piece of content that you create is almost like building the brick in a fortress. And the more content you've got, the stronger your proposition be. It becomes. And I just love that sort of imagery and and that me- that message that they've uh, they've built into their book. Um, they were very lucky in to get uh, Marcus Sheridan, who's a very famous American uh, content marketer and international speaker, to do the foreword for their book. So that that's that's another reason to to have a look at it. But quite honestly, these two are absolutely passionate about what they do. It's a very successful company. They also run a very successful community of people inside uh, Jammy Digital as well. So it was absolutely inevitable that they were going to stick a book out there. And I think it's available in paperback and on Amazon Kindle as well. And you can still pre-order signed copies if you want to go onto their website. And I'll include the link to that in the show notes but martin and lindsay well done on getting content fortress out there into the
1: world oh that's wonderful news and well you know how much respect i have for book authors so much work goes on behind the scenes before it's out and available. So thanks thanks very much, Roger, I really appreciate that. So today, I would like to bring to your attention the very smart approach to content marketing by a lady called Jenny Ensworth. Now, Jenny is a leadership mindset and motivation motivation consultant, She provides uh, public speaking services, training, one-to-one mentoring, and so on. And it's really looking after individuals and team leaders and she also coined that um, label memorable leadership looking at ways for you to leave a lasting positive impact in the people that you interact with so she has a very active linkedin profile if you follow um, jenny you're going to get lots of regular kind of uh, wisdom and things are going to make you smile but in terms of her content marketing You may remember, Roger, I was talking a lot about how much I uh, kind of favor the the series format as a way of uh, building your brand. But there's also another tactic, which is quite the opposite of series, which is what I call the star content, where there is one bit of content that helps your website shine and, of course, uh, build your brand accordingly. So very recently, uh, Jenny reissued her Fire Your Life free audio. So this is a half hour Kind of uh, presentation discussion to help you feel re energized and actually look more positively about things that you're facing with your personal and professional life. And it is one bit of content that that's all there is on the website, but that's these star content kind of strategy. So fire your life up, a free audio that can be downloaded that also really helps Jenny kind of share her values and, and wisdom when it comes to leadership and memorable leadership of that. But also, there's just smart way to keep it simple but make it
0: very impactful fantastic yeah and of course Jenny was uh, a compare at one of the Upreneur summits recently as well so she's well known to quite a lot of the people watching the show excellent so thank you very much to all our content
1: creators today and of course for the past few episodes we look forward to talking about more content creators in one. but Roger once again One last time in 2020, let's move on to film marketing. Yes. So, Roger, in film marketing, since we are fast approaching Christmas, I would like to talk to you about a very special Christmas movie, Die Hard again. No, although we did oh. confirm it and agree that this was one of the best Christmas movies ever. So I going to talk to about the <laughs> second best Christmas movie. Although a movie that really makes the top 10 or top 20 or top 50 Christmas films. I want to talk about Gremlins,
0: released Gremlins. in 1984. Mogwai, Mogwai. Bright light, bright light. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, uh, the memory cheats a bit, doesn't it, Pascal? Because... Initially, when we agreed to talk about this film, I was struggling to remember it as a Christmas movie. And and I think in, initially it was launched in the States in June 1984. But it, yes, it was launched in the United Kingdom in December 1984. But of course it's a Christmas movie because it takes place at Christmas. And there's lots of uh, Christmas decorations going on and, and all of that sort of thing. So I think it definitely does qualify as a christmas movie but again it's one of those it's a great movie i don't know whether it's a comedy or whether it's a drama i don't know whether it's a horror film or whether it's a children's movie or an adult's movie it maybe it just appeals to all age groups and that what that's what makes a good christmas movie
1: uh, I would agree. Uh, I mean, I think when you look at uh, the uh, the critics and, of course, uh, the uh, the interviews with the makers, they call it a uh, horror comedy. So maybe a bit of a bit of a get out. But uh, I know that when it came to a Christmas movie, and the case of Christmas toys. I know that my parents would say to me, You have to look after your toys because, you know, they cost money, it's expensive and so on. But in case of Morgwai, I've never known any Christmas present coming with so many strict
0: instructions. <laughs> they wanted you to treat the toy exactly how you would actually have <laughs> to treat the animal itself, wouldn't you know? Um, you know, don't get it wet, don't feed it after midnight and whatever the other thing you weren't supposed to do was. No sunlight. No sunlight, that's right. Yeah. That's right. And, you know, the, the, the original Mogwai is incredibly cute. Incredibly. Uh, it's got great, great big eyes, great big ears, uh, you know, very cute face. Um, it did remind me a bit of a sort of cuter E.T., I think, at the time. Uh, but actually, if you think about it, with its ears, you know, pointing out to the side, it's not dissimilar to the baby Yoda in *Mandalorian* that we talked about last week. Indeed, it's funny you should
1: mention that. And maybe that's a rule of cinematography: if you want yeah. to make it cute, you must have big ears and big eyes. Yeah, Dumbo. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly, um, I mean, my family—we uh, absolutely adored watching Gremlins in the because it was one of those where you were laughing at horrible things. I mean, we mentioned a moment about what happens to the poor residents of Kingston Falls, you know, when the, obviously the uh, Mogwai a, is, uh, well, the gremlins are released in, into the town. But we, at the time, had a cute uh, little dog, Yorkshire Terrier, um, <laughs> and she had those really much bigger ears than normal for Yorkshire Terrier. So because she was a female dog, we called her Gizmi uh, uh. in celebration of Gizmo, which is a name given to to Mogwai. For a kind of film nerds out there, they'll know that Mogwai is a kind of bastardized version of Mandarin and Cantonese word
0: for demon or literal evil spirit, mm, mm. And, and and again those remarkable f- scenes. Once <laughs> they go on the rampage in that in that town, there's one scene set in a cinema where they're all watching a TV, when they're all watching a film, and they're e- eating popcorn and drinking beer, and I think one two of them are playing cards, and one. Gremlin obviously cheats, so the other gremlin shoots him. And then, the, as you say, genuinely, there's the one scene where the mother is being stalked in the house by two or three of the gremlins, and and she kills them all basically one by one in pretty nasty ways. I think she puts one of them in the microwave and mm. doesn't one of them go down the uh, waste disposal Correct. chute or and get ground up like that. And that's pretty pretty gruesome actually. But maybe it's okay when you're doing it to something that isn't really real. Um, possibly. But you know that
1: uh, we're going to talk about marketing in a moment. But um, the filmmakers got into a bit bother with critics and particularly reviewers where they believed that this was essentially, you know, like E.T., or it was a bit like you know other family action movies, and yeah. they got caught out into, frankly, a horror story. And the original script written by Chris Columbus, and where Jordante actually got involved as a director, was even more like a horror film, because particularly had just worked on The Howling, which is a werewolf movie, yeah. and some of the, the attack from the gremlins and what happens to uh, people were far, far uh, more gruesome. Uh, I, as I'm listening to you, I'm smiling, because I'm remembering, of course, one of the most infamous scene is the old neighbour, the lady who basically ends up, you know, using her stairlift that you know has been interfered with by the gremlins, yes. and she goes shooting across the window
0: into, into the backyard. <laughs> yeah, but Pascal, it is a good film, and we will talk about the marketing in a moment. But for my, to my mind, there was also one scene in this film which was utter, utter rubbish. And it's the scene where the um, the two protagonists, Zach Galligan and, and Phoebe Cates, I can't remember what their characters were called, they're talking about a Christmas Eve from her childhood. And I can't remember whether it was an uncle or father had climbed down the, the chimney to try and surprise them all as Father Christmas, and he got stuck and he died. But they didn't know where he was. And this whole scene was played out in all seriousness. And it just wasn't... It was just wasn't serious at all, but neither was it funny. And I always remember thinking, what was all that about? And if I'd have been the director, I might have just edited that scene out entirely. Interestingly, that's
1: actually a, a symptoms of the remnants of the original script. Because mm-hmm. the original script, again, was far more into a horror genre than kind of mm-hmm. horror comedy or dark comedy. And I know that Steven Spielberg, who was the executive producer, wanted that particular dialogue uh, segment out. So did the, yeah. the Warner Brothers and so on. But Rodante was keen to retain it. And the reason for that is because the film, as you watch it over and over again, is actually playing back some of the urban legend that people uh-huh. used to, uh, saw. the case of the uh, the gremlin in the microwave was the urban legend of people drying uh, their pets in microwave. Uh-huh. The, um, this one about people being stuck in the chimney was an urban legend. So he was using uh, the story to play back uh, urban legend, but also play back to us some of the more darker elements of fairy tales so that the Gremlins and what they do and how they behave, if you look at some of the original version of the, the Grimm Brothers mentioned actually a moment ago, they are like that. you know I mean Hanson and yeah. Gretel, the original story is truly terrifying.
0: Yeah. Not this uh-huh.
1: kind of softened version that we, we now know. Oh, of course, and Red Riding Hood gets eaten by the wolf in the original. <laughs> no, absolutely. Do so, you know, you mentioned a moment, My the, the reason I watched Gremlins, actually, because there's one scene that I just can't wait, is when they are at the cinema. Yes. And the movie they are watching is Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. And when the dwarf starts to sing, and then all the gremlins stop messing on and fighting and or whatever, and they all start to sing together is just pure joy (laughs) yeah
0: absolutely right i'd I'd forgotten about that but it is one of those moments where oh wow whoever thought that up it was just a genius moment
1: absolutely Uh, and i think that's where the film kind of works but um it's also a, a, I mean, I can't remember how many times we mentioned Steven Spielberg as part of film marketing, but of course, it's such a prolific, a you know, a producer as well as director. But very much like the Goonies that we spoke about a, a few weeks ago, this movie is like the, the 80s kind of trove of of nods and, and little kind of Easter eggs. Uh, there's stuff that you spot now that you may have missed the first time you saw it. You know, back in in eighty four, from cameos from producers and directors, including Steven Spielberg himself. You've got Robbie the robot from obviously from the Planet. Yes. You've got obviously E. T. That was produced a few years prior to yeah. Gremlins, where yeah. in a very symbolic way. Um, I think it's called Spike, isn't it? The, the the evil gremlin, the leader of the pack, is hiding in a um, in a big kind of department store behind a stuffed puppet version of ET, and then yes. that uh, puppet just drops to the floor as is looking you know, in a very evil way towards you know um, uh, the Zach, I think is the actor, that's right, and looking to obviously
0: kill him. Indeed, yeah. I mean, I love I love things like that because. If you don't know what it means, it doesn't harm you. But if you're a geek like us, it's just a treasure trove of experience, isn't it? And talking points throughout the movie.
1: That's why I end up, when I watch those movies, I look at you know the posters on the wall of the bedrooms because usually there's stuff that either I used to have or wish I'd had. The, uh, I think the most kind of obvious nod to 80s movies would be when in one of the scenes, one of the Gremlins is playing a video game, which is Star Wars. And yes. when they move towards the cinema... And you've got the neon lights outside telling you coming soon. They have the working titles of famous films by Steven Spielberg and so on and so forth. But it's not Mm -hmm. distracting because one thing that I know you enjoy is the movie really moves at quite some
0: pace oh yeah yeah i mean it's fast it is fast apart from that that dodge you see yeah. about the about the <laughs> chimney it's it's just never never ending so
1: there was one thing i wanted to ask you roger you mentioned a moment ago how odd gremlins a fine christmas movie released in the summer of 1984 we got it properly in december in the uk but then the movie was re-released a second time at the theaters in the summer of 1985 in the us again just like i've never heard of a movie having two cinema releases in the space of 12 months is it because you think the the winter months with all the merchandising and and the hype in europe
0: led to a big bigger fan base I think that may have been it, mightn't it? Because I, I mean, my initial thought was this was probably before the days when it was absolutely guaranteed that the VHS, I guess at mm. the time, naturally came out three to four months after the cinema version. You, you could actually have to wait a year, two years, you know, even even longer for a film to come out. So I, I, I wonder whether it was less about the fact there was a fan base; it was just that were they were geeing the market up again make people come to the cinema to remember how good it was so that when we get it out to VHS, they're going to go and buy that as well. So (laughs) I I wonder whether it was almost like a pre-marketing campaign for the actual VHS release. Of course, yes, and
1: then like all movies, this has had the treatment on DVD, Blu-ray, and so on. I- I've got the DVD version, uh, the special director's cut, where there's no mm-hmm. additional scenes, but there's just do- documentaries. And actually, in that documentary, I learned something that I wasn't aware of, which is the term gremlins. Allegedly, comes from a British pilot who, during the Second World War, kept blaming the many kind of mechanical failures of, of their aircraft to creatures called gremlins. Ah, well, there you go. I never knew that. (laughs) (laughs) So, shall we talk about marketing just a bit? Let's talk about marketing. So, first thing, this was 1984. Not many options available to the filmmakers and to Warner Brothers in particular. So, we had posters and we had trailers. To begin with, the poster at the time was fantastic. All you saw was this box held by... What we later well understand would be Zacks in our hands. The box is slightly open, the lid is slightly off, and we see two cute little hands peeking out of the box to reveal obviously Mogwai Gizmo, but you had to go through the movies to see what he looked like.
0: Cute, clever, mischievous, intelligent, dangerous. <laughs> no, it was an intriguing, intriguing poster, wasn't it? Not shocking, just definitely intriguing. Uh, And again, in those days, because you hadn't got the ability to show a trailer to everybody on the internet, on YouTube, like you would today, posters were a massive, massive way of promoting a film. And and I think something like this, with that, you know, it tantalizingly makes you wonder what is in the box. And, And we just love a little mystery, don't we? I want to open the box and find out what's inside it. So, yeah, it's a very, very clever piece piece of marketing just to whet the customer's appetite.
1: You're right. The, the reward was go to the movies and sit for the reveal. And they followed the, the same kind of uh, intrigue for the trailers, but that backfired. Because you see, when you watch a trailer and it comes across as a cutesy Christmas movie or something that is not a dark comedy or a horror because for the trailers, they either completely um, hid from view the, um, you know, Mogwai, the Gizmo or the Gremlins, or there was one trailer for families where you only see Gizmo. So, of course, mm. families with very young children went to see Gremlins and got a bit of a shock
0: yeah i mean i that's what is one of the memories that i have of that film was that i had quite a few friends who had younger sisters and brothers at the time mm. and, and i do remember that the, the whole a lot of the merchandising that went with the film and again because as you've said it was re-released that that merchandise had really taken hold um culturally and and it was it was cute it was it was a it was a it was almost like a surrogate baby wasn't it it was it was an an inhuman baby in a human sort of way and and it was cute and and it, and it sucked people in and yeah you're absolutely right I bet a lot of young children begged their parents <laughs> to take them to the cinema to see that and then they their parents probably spent the next year regretting it because they had to sit up with their kids all night comforting them because they thought that the the gremlins were going to pop out from under the bed and. Put them in a liquidizer. Well, particularly
1: <laughs> when the the character plays the dad at the very end, because uh, for memory, the 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 film, this book ended with the dad uh, monologue stating that he has a story to tell, and then the closer where he says, "You know, look under your bed, look in your in your." kind of cupboards they could be there so i'm sure those poor kids have been spending many nights keeping their parents awake and interestingly i mentioned a moment ago in you know, 1984 was an amazing year for filmgoers because you also had uh, indiana jones and the temple of doom yeah. and that very infa- uh, infamous scene of the the heart being pulled out of the chest of one of, of the victims in the uh, temple of doom so simon spielberg that year got um, criticized for creating movies that were allegedly for families and became scary as a result of which he suggested that they should invent the PG thirteen kind of category of film rating. So um,
0: yeah, Gremlins is responsible for creating that new rating. I didn't know that Pascal, <laughs> and I always thought the PG thirteen was a bit of a scam. Really, <laughs> it was it was to let us let us show a scary movie but get away with a uh, a lower um, certificate for it. So uh, yeah, I suppose yeah if we if, if if we if we're thanking Spielberg for that, then there's quite a few films that I guess I saw in that period which I owe to him. <laughs> yeah, so just you know back to, to the marketing for me, Roger is
1: I think with the trailers that, that was a a, a misstep that they, they they missed it and misled. It perhaps was innocent, perhaps it was just informed by the success of the likes of of E.T. and and films that are just coming out of the the early eighties. But um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a lesson for for everyone you know out there. The the other thing that I wanted to mention to you, of course, about not just the marketing, but the ongoing marketing, is how gremlins then were adopted in popular culture. And they, they are known by all and mentioned everywhere. Um, you are more au fait with music than I am, I must confess. But am I right in thinking that near your neck of the wood, there is a
0: rock band called Mogwai? There is a, ba- a, a rock <laughs> band called Mogwai. And until this instant in time I hadn't actually made the connection but of course it's it's absolutely like slap the forehead moment isn't it yeah absolutely and there are all sorts of other instances and examples of that where gremlins has effectively been absolutely embedded within popular culture
1: yeah and also you know when as the two geeks you know we say that the 80s were a great decade for film and music we are right you know, that's absolutely right. I mean, to the point where even the very last offering from the Lego movie, the Gremlins make an appearance uh, as <laughs> a little nod yeah. to obviously the uh, what, what they've given us as legacy to filmgoers and, and storytellers.
0: Yeah, and, you know, a few weeks ago when we did Lost Boys and we said, you know, wouldn't it have been great? I wanted to be the vampire. <laughs> you know, I wanted to be Keith the Sutherland's character. You know, even though the Mogwai was cute and everything, and he was he was adorable, and he kept getting cuddles from the young kids in the movie. You really wanted to be the stripy one, didn't you? Having fun and and shooting people, and sitting in the um, in the cinema. Yeah, and eating lots of sweets, eating popcorn. <laughs> uh, and, and indeed, you know,
1: people have been trying to, I think, analyse the movie, saying, or oh, oh, it's a it's a kind of a criticism or an observation of society how we are now dominated by gadgets and and uh, overconsumption. I just think it's just just a fantastic dark comedy that then opened the door to things like uh, craters and ghoulies and many of the other kind of uh, 80s and 90s nasties. (laughs)
0: Yeah, absolutely. One of the the best, and yet again, yet again is one I'm going to have to dig out from the depths of my cupboard blow some dust off it probably and and give it another watch so to our viewers and listeners you've heard it here
1: again Die Hard and Gremlins are the top Christmas movies and we
0: hope that you get a chance to watch them again yeah and oh yeah Every time we say something like this, you can just hear the internet start to seize up, can't you? Uh, But yeah, absolutely right. We'll be talking about more Christmas movies on future episodes of Two Geeks in a Marketing Podcast. Roger Edwards, it has been a
1: pleasure to spend so much of 2020 in your company. This is episode 23, wrapping up for our viewers and listeners. We want to wish you the very best. Enjoy the break. We'll be back very, very soon early 2021. I was Pascal Fintoni. he was Roger Edwards. Until the very next one, go out there and make sure your marketing is done right. Bye for now.